Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. God loves the beauty of His creation. We have to stop fighting with each other and remember that mercy overrides judgment. Join Alvita and Doug as they discuss how to let people know that there is a better way. After the episode, check out our show notes on your favorite streaming platform and visit awardandseasonpodcast.org. If you've gleaned anything from this podcast, consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org. Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. Alvita, thank you so much for being on with us today. Thank you, Doug. Hello to everyone who is joining us. If I may, as we were opening in prayer, this is very short, but this just touched my heart. You are Alpha and Omega. We worship you, our God. You are worthy to be praised. Amen. I love the way that you always have a time of worship on your podcast as well and your live interviews. And when worship goes up, glory comes down. So Amen. So thank you again for being with us. You know, everybody knows you, Alvita, but I just wanted to, to go over the brief bio that, uh, that we have on you just to uh, update people because there's parts of your biography that people may not understand. And you know, they always see you as the, the niece of the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You also are the daughter of the late slain civil rights activist, Reverend A.D. King. So I think there's a lot more to the story that sometimes people don't get because they get the topical. <clears throat> Let me just read a portion of your bio. Dr. Alveda C. King is from Atlanta, Georgia, and serves as the chair of the Center for the American Dream of AFPI. She is the daughter of the late slain civil rights activist, Reverend A.D. King and the niece of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Dr. King is the founder of Speak for Life, fighting for the sanctity and dignity of all life, from the womb to the tomb. She currently serves as a Fox News contributor and host of the Fox Nation show, Alveda King's House. Dr. King is a former college professor, served in the Georgia State House of Representatives, and is a former presidential appointee and 2021 recipient of the Presidential Lifetime Achievement Award. Wow, that's a whole lot right in itself. (laughs) Thank you. Let's start a little bit, because all of us have a faith journey. Let's start a little bit about your connection, your father and your legacy, and then, of course, your connection to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as your uncle. What started your faith journey, and how did you have that personal encounter with the Lord that took you into the things you're doing today in leadership? Well, interestingly enough, I'm a preacher's kid, a preacher's grandkid, and a preacher's niece. So I was born into a Christian family. My uncle, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and my dad, his brother, Reverend A.D. King, they both had their encounters with God, and they talked about it. My uncle very clearly knocked at midnight. And he was, uh, before that time, when he had that direct encounter with Christ, it was his daddy's God. He was a preacher because his daddy wanted him to be and all of that. My dad, Reverend A.D. King, one day my mother gives this account. He was at home and he was closed the door into in their bedroom and she was out in the house and he was talking to somebody, but nobody was there. Okay, I hear you. Well, yeah, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What should I do? And he's going back and forth. So mother 
got the phone and, you know, back then it wasn't the cell phones, but it had the long cord. Dad, AD's in the room and he's acting really strange. He's talking to somebody, but nobody's in there but him. And so Daddy King says, put the phone a little closer. And so finally, Daddy says, okay, I'll just do it. And so his daddy, Daddy King on the other line, starts laughing. It's okay, Nene. He's got the call. Wow. So in their own way, Martin Luther King Jr. said he had come in one night and they had been marching and demonstrated. And he took a cup of coffee at midnight. And he basically said, God, I can't do this by myself. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And he says he heard the voice of Jesus say, Martin Luther, stand up for truth and justice. And lo, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And so God became his God. Jesus became his Lord. Holy Spirit became his. That happened to my dad. I had an encounter just like that, having been born in a Christian family, having reached fame and fortune and had secret abortions and all of this. And then 1983, between 1984, I was led to the Lord. And it concluded at that season with a young lady saying to me, I had gone to work at the college where I worked 19 years and she carried a big Bible case. And everybody says, don't talk to her. She's a religious fanatic. Well, in those days, if you said, don't do it, I was very likely to do it right away. That's the kind of personality I had. So I was, why do people say you don't need to do that, talk to you? And why do you carry that big case? She says, Alvita, who is God? Alvita, who is Jesus? I said, well, he's born of the Virgin Mary, died on the cross. I remember the little Bible school songs. Alvita, who is Jesus? Well, he died on the cross, rose again, you know? She asked me a third time. I always say for the one for the Father, one for the Son, one for the Holy Ghost. Alvita, who is Jesus? I was angry then because she didn't accept my theology. And I looked at her. Well, I guess he's God. And then I said, I know he's God. And every question I asked that lady, she came to the Bible. I said, is God so mean that the aborigines who never hears of Jesus has to go to hell? She goes over, I think it's uh, in Colossians, and it's also in Romans, from the beginning, God put something in us that we should seek him. So we happily found him. Acts 17 says that. And finally, she led me to Romans 10, 9. Elvita, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. I believe it. I still believe it. She led me in the sinner's prayer. I became a born again Christian. Worldview shifted immediately. And over the next many years, up to this day, I've been on that journey with Jesus as my Lord, Holy Spirit as my teacher, and God as my father. Wow. You said a whole lot in that already, in that introduction, because there are defining moments, places, and people in our lives that help us to get the definition of our own calling. So we yeah. always know the legacy of your life your, from your father and from your, your uncle, as well as this person who was willing to be that Jesus freak, so to speak, you know, in those days to be able to, to tell you uh, and to encourage you at the same time. But you take that in the trajectory of your life. I mean, to all of a sudden become a major spokesman and advocate for all life and for the unborn as well. And, and, uh, and it really has given you a platform and a voice that goes far beyond, let's say, even the, the unborn or the abortion issue, because it's really given you a platform to speak into so many areas prophetically in our culture and our generation. Well, my granddaddy in 1950 
My mom and dad were engaged to be married. They were college students and they were going to wait and get married. Her mother made the mistake of letting my mother go on a date with my dad. Now, I want to distinguish for the younger audience right now. In those days, a date would not include sexual intimacy. But if you let two people who are attracted alone who feel as though they love each other, then we know that physical intimacy could happen. And that's what happened to my mom and daddy. So mom was pregnant and she went and she talked to her mother, took a flyer, believe it or not, home from the birth control league, which changed its name to Planned Parenthood. And Mm -hmm. they didn't believe in abortion. They said because abortion was illegal, but they had other procedures and exploratory things called a DNC if your stomach hurts and all kinds of things. So my mother wanted that procedure. She wanted to finish college. So her mom said, let's talk to our pastor, who was Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Sr., my granddad. Now, listen to what happened, a prophetic ultrasound. Daddy King says to my mother, they're lying to you, Nene. That was her nickname. She's Naomi Ruth Barbara King. That's not a lump of flesh. That's my granddaughter. I saw her in a dream three years ago. She has bright skin and she's going to bless many people. So that prophetic ultrasound gave me my lie. I had no idea that over the next several years, until the early 1980s, that I would try to run away from God and do my own thing, fame and fortune. But then God, it's amazing how God is. He says, you know, I, I know the plans I have for you and they're not to hurt you. And so after that, I got to give my testimony that I was saved from abortion and now I wanted to save others. And and I use my uncle's quote, the Negro cannot win if he's willing to sacrifice the futures of his children for immediate personal comfort and safety. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Then I said, a woman has a right to choose what she does with her body. The baby's not her body. Where's the lawyer for the baby? How can the dream survive if we murder our children? Mm. I've confessed publicly, first privately, my own abortions and all of my sins. And God has forgiven me. Jesus's blood has cleansed me. Mm. Holy Spirit is now with me. And so through the years, I began to speak about why abortion is wrong, because it might seem to help the woman, although I don't really think it helps. But where's the lawyer? Where are the civil rights? Where's the human dignity for the baby? And Doug, if you'll let me just take a second, it seems like I'm, I'm segueing, but I'm not. As a mother and a grandmother, I have six living children. I have aborted children and a miscarried child. And I'm a grandmother. So my grandchildren are here and I walked by his little game and it looked like he was playing with a cartoon. And it, Oh, it's a cartoon. It's okay. We say that about Disney and everything. But if you stop and listen, my grandson has selected a female avatar to be him and the hero in the game. I said, but wait a minute, wait a minute, but you're not a girl. Oh, it's just a game. I like her skills. I said, but on that screen, that's you. I said, you're a biological boy, I guess. Do you identify as a boy or a girl? I had to ask him. He's on the phone. He's 11. His friend is 13. I said, are you a biological boy or a girl? Oh, I'm a boy. I'm a boy. I said, but you don't mind being a girl in this game. I said, no, we've got that kind of thing now. Biological males are in the female games and they're biologically stronger. 
but their avatar mind says they could be a girl. So they thought about it. And I said, let's find a gay. So the next thing I know, his friend says, well, then just be Superman. Don't be a girl, be Superman. I said, probably that avatar is a little better. So how do we approach these kids? How do we tell these young ladies if they've been through the worst experience, rape, incest, anything, that there's a better way? We'll help you. We'll love you, especially now that abortion is back in the States. So we can't just moralize and sermonize and point fingers, but we have to be here, be present, hear them, see what they're thinking see what they're doing. And when we do that, we will see the hand of God moving in our lives. Absolutely. That's a great analogy and a great point because we need the ministry of presence more than ever before. I remember in 1995, when I first wrote my book, The Fatherless Generation, and of course, later it became known as Who's Your Daddy Now? And then now it's called In Search of a Father's Blessing. We've seen so much in the last 20, 30 years that have progressively become worse than we ever thought it would be in some regard, but it's really the absentee of the influence of the parents in many ways. But yet then we're confronted today with governments and education trying to basically take away all of the parents' authority from even speaking into their own children's lives. So we have this quandary of crisis that we have right now. So we need to be more engaged, obviously, and it's not going to be easy to take background that has been taken from us. Our mutual friend, the late Bishop Harry Jackson, in fact, I remember our time together, you were, you and Bernice, your cousin, we were up in Washington, D.C. at Lincoln Memorial. It was April of, uh, night of 2016, a freezing cold day. But we had a time of reconciliation. And of course, something you had mentioned because it was the Psalm 89, 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, God. Mercy and truth go before your face. And much of the lessons we've learned and the, the life example from friends like you or, or Bishop Harry Jackson and others is that it's speaking the truth, but it's speaking the truth in love, seasoned with grace but speaking the truth nonetheless. So it's not about being hateful. It's not about being mean. It's about here is the plumb line of God's word and how do then we adjust our lives to fit into God's word rather than trying to justify our actions by changing God's word. How would you, especially with all the fodder today and the spin of media, how do you address those things and stay true to God's word? Bishop Jackson and I would have a conversation. Let's use as an example, racial reconciliation. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I have a book with Ginger Howard, We Are Not Colorblind. And mm-hmm. Bishop Jackson wrote that forward. So we would speak back and forth. And as you say, when we were in D.C. with reconciliation and foot washing and all of that, I said, well, Bishop Jackson, we're only one blood, one race. The Bible is very clear on that in Acts 17 and biologically we are one blood and one race. I said, so people still want to say and do, and this is to the leaders and this is to the parents. When we want to say something nice and that sounds good because we don't want to offend, I said, well, Bishop Jackson, we have to stop saying we're colorblind. If you're colorblind, get some glasses. Jesus gives sight to the blind. We could see. It really became so different that we would go places and very distinguished speakers and we're colorblind. We don't see color. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'd be in the audience and I'd interrupt the speech. So Bishop would say, well, that happens to be a good point, Elvita. I'm not sure 
that that's exactly the way God would have you do that, but it's a good point. So I'm making this point to say, and before he left, he wrote that forward. Whatever the difference is, whatever the discussion is, we as Christian leaders cannot accept when people say America is no longer a Christian nation. Mm. It is still Christian because there are enough of us who have not bowed our knee to Baal to represent the kingdom of God in this nation. So when people say that, I don't agree with that. But it doesn't make it so easy when there are leaders, when there are people in the communities who will not, in a kind, loving way, speak out and tell the truth. Mm -hmm. So when they do the polls and we say, well, we're Christian, we don't do politics, we don't do polls. So the polls reflect whatever the pollsters wanted to reflect. America is still a Christian nation. It's Mm -hmm. time for the prophets to come out of the caves and speak up. So we cannot accept these narratives. And we have to, I would not say push back as much as I would say stand up and speak the truth, teach the truth, teach it in the churches, teach it in the public square. We talk about the seven mountains of influence. And I remind people there's an eighth mountain. It's called the mountain of God. That Mm -hmm. is over all those seven mountains. Mm -hmm. So we have an obligation and we do what you're doing. You're occupying the media, Doug, with what you're doing right now. Mm -hmm. And so Satan may have that title, Prince of the Power of the Air, but the airways belong to you and to me. Mm -hmm. So we must use them. And as we use them, the influence as leaders on this journey, we work together, we edify each other, we edify ourselves, we build up ourselves on our most holy faith. We communicate, we discuss, and we publish, whether it's in music, media, however it is. We use all of our creativity together. And as we do that, in every generation, you can't say, well, 20 years ago, I put out a book and it said, today, you have to have a new book or a new thought or a new idea or a new Zoom call every day. Well, again, so many good things and nuggets you just shared. And one of them, of course, is I love what you said, because I've always said the same thing. As you know, my mother was Japanese, and I appreciate the good intention when people say, oh, God's colorblind. I said, but wait and stop for a moment. God's not color. He loves the beauty of his creation. He loves color. And the rainbow belongs to him, too, by the way. That's his rainbow. It doesn't belong to anybody else. That's right. And, the, and it's, it's the coat of many. We are a coat of many colors that the father is presenting to his son, Jesus, of us, the church, as we cross Absolutely. our racial, denominational, generational lines, we are a code of many colors. He's not colorblind. So I appreciate that. You were talking about the importance of speaking the truth and, of course, speaking the truth in love, season it with grace. And so I think that's where we are today. So many are afraid. And, you know, they, people talk about anti-bullying uh, in the media and, of course, Hollywood and everyone. But yet they're the ones bullying the rest of us to to just be coward and to be sheepish and not to say anything. We have to find that place of finding our footing to say, look, the truth is what sets people free. Absolutely. And this, again, has to be done in every generation, every decade, and every moment. And you talk about the trajectories. When peripherals collide, convergence is imminent, you see. Mm -hmm. So you might be in this lane, I might be in that lane. But we have to stop fighting with each other and say, oh, I don't talk to him. I don't talk to her because she said this, she did that. 
Mercy overrides judgment and justice. It does. So we have to learn to build bridges, to move forward. And, and it should not be about politics. Politics, that's important. And some of God's strongest people in the Old and New Testament had high positions in society and in, in the governments. Queen Esther, the queen. Daniel, sort of like a secretary of state or whatever. Joseph, they had really high positions right under their kings, you see? So it is important and we have to pray for those who are in authority. You know, the president, the cabinets, the Congress, the governors, the representatives, up and down from the mayor, from the school board, everybody, county commissioners. We have to do that. The people who are in business. You know, I was thinking the other day and your mom being part Japanese and all of that, we're one blood and we're human beings. So where does it fit in like for us to say, well, I'm for America first over at the uh, AFPI, the Center for the American Dream, America First Policy Institute. We don't say America only. Just take care of your own hometown. And then you move into your other communities. And with me, I, my blended heritage, I'm part with the DNA test. I think it was ancestry or something my daughter did. Part African, part Irish, and part Native American. So I identify with every gift that God put in this blood of mine. However, I live in America right now. So I want to work for a great America so that I can bless the world. Something else you said, Alveda, was... Uh, we've all taught on the seven mountains or the seven spheres of the culture. I've written about it in my book, Leadership Awakening, but I've come to the conclusion that we should add the eighth, as you mentioned. The mountain of God. And as a matter the, of fact, I don't know if you know Dr. Miles, Dr. Francis Miles and his wife, Carmela, and he's a prophet and a, a teacher and an apostle. His wife is a creative artist and she's designed because I call her one day. And I said, hon, I, I need a, an, an image so people can see the mountain of God. And then, so she has created that. And hopefully you'll see that soon. And she's writing a book about creativity. Well, and that's so good because one of the seven spheres or the seven mountains is religion. Yeah, but the difference is what religion? There's so many religions. Yeah. And the kingdom yeah. of God and the mountain of God is something totally different. It is about it this is. relationship with the Lord that exudes from us and his light shines in such a way others may see him. I agree with you on that point. And it's just absolutely marvelous that we begin to teach that from our platform. So I'm glad you're introducing that here. And we have to know the kingdom of God. You have the other kingdoms as well. You've got the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of the flesh, the kingdom of the devil, However, God's unchangeable power in the kingdom of God is higher. The name of Jesus is higher. The blood of Jesus is higher. And so we have to keep that focus. Absolutely. People look at you as Alveda King, you know, and they think you never have a problem because, I mean, you're Alveda King. Or people look at other successful pastors or business leaders and think, oh, they, they're the pinnacle of success, but they don't understand that to get to the promise, we go through a process. There's and a path. Oh, yeah. There is That's a path. So how, you know, is there been something or some areas that you would encourage other leaders saying, look, to get to the promises of God, there is a place of keeping your focus to get to that promise and go through the process. We all have unexpected detours. And I know you know that back in 2015, I was crisscrossing the country and I had stage four B-cell lymphoma cancer. And yet I chose to, by the grace of God, to continue and not to quit to go minister. 
That was an unexpected detour. I never planned for it, but it became a, a distraction and but became a ministry in the midst of that. What would you encourage other leaders to do that there will come times that things will happen, unexpected detours, but how to maneuver through that to stay focused? If some of your viewers and listeners have Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, somebody went different things pop up in my inbox every day, a picture, a message. So this particular day, it says our plans. And there's a straight course, straight across, and then you come to success in the, <clears throat> the tree of life. And then it says God's plan. Now, God sees everything else. He sees the beginning and the end, but there's a pitfall, maybe something with little sharks in it, a storm and everything, but you still get there. Now, we have to have faith. We have to believe that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he promises. And then we have to be consistent. When we fall, I tell people, I don't encourage sin ever. But first John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So if you fall, get up and keep going. I do remember my pastor who's deceased now, he and his wife, uh, before he passed away in 2015, I was, I was singing, we fall down, but we get up. And he says, well, that is true. And God is there. But that's kind of for toddlers and stuff. So you don't have to fall down a lot. <laughs> so I thought about it. So we don't say, oh, God, forgive me. I'll just do it. No, we work. We try. Read our Bibles. Let God speak to us through his word. Demonstrate it. Faith and works coming together. Grace without his judgment is there. So to avoid that judgment, you get close to him and try to obey God. Obedience is important. So with the pitfalls, because people ask me all the time, and they do think now, oh, I can't imagine that you ever did this. I can't imagine that you ever have done it, said it, had it, and depend on Jesus every day. But when you fall and when you stumble, one thing that really bothers me when our brothers and sisters in the faith fall, we're quick. Oh, they did this and I'm not going to speak to them anymore. And they need to be sat down and maybe they do need to sit down. But where's the grace? Where's the mercy? Where is the forgiveness? Where is remembering how God has blessed and forgiven us? And we can do that with others because then they'll point to the scripture when Paul is really chastising and telling the people, this man has committed adultery and everything and he's right in your midst and you're doing nothing. What is wrong with you? So they obeyed and got it together. But then he came back. He said, I wanted to see if you had the ability to humble yourself and continue to obey God. Now restore him. Mm -hmm. Restore him. If you see a brother or a sister overtaken in a fall, restore him so you don't fall into the same ditch. I love the scripture that we always quote, you know, especially it preaches good, but it's out of Daniel chapter 11, says those that know their God shall do great exploits. And we love to quote that. And to know is the word yada, Y-A-D-A, to know, to have a relationship, not just to know about. And, and yet we forget to go on and read the next couple of verses when it says, when those who lead you or teach you fall. Yeah. And then it gives us a path of two different paths. One is some, when they fall, will continue through flattery and pride to continue down a slippery slope. Yeah. But others, when they fall, they humble themselves before God. And then God is able to bring them back even stronger than before. Give that opportunity. He's That's done it right. to me in my own life. So I say I'm 72 years old. My 73rd birthday 
is several months from now, but I count the months, the time in my mother's womb. Mm. So I feel as though I've lived long enough to know that we have to have that balance. You know, people go around, I'm your fruit inspector and I want to see your fruit. I was like, do you have a mirror with you? Can, can you look in that first? Mm-hmm. And then they get very upset when I say that. So we will know each other by our fruit, but we need to examine ourselves. And Romans 1 is real solid on who's going to be punished and who's wrong. But then in Romans 2, and he says, look, do you think just because you show me everything wrong everybody else has done, I'm going to forget about you? He says, salvation has come to my house first. So we have to remember all of that. Mm -hmm. But like with the little children that I mentioned earlier, if I just let them switch genders and stuff and avatars and then later wonder why they want to do something and I don't say anything, but I say it gently, what else is out there? What other kind of game could you be playing? I said, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. What does that look like? Can you have fun in Jesus? Is it possible? So there are ways to communicate without being so, I hate to say this, Mm self-righteous, that people think they can't attain what it is we're trying to Mm -hmm. walk. You're so right. You know, looking in the mirror and um, reminded of what A.W. Tozer used to say, that self is the opaque veil that hides the face of God from us. So when there's self-centeredness, self-absorption, self-righteousness, It hides God's presence, and he wants yes. to be. Um, oh, my God, so that's powerful. You've always been in the process of even having strong convictions, and we know that you've been an advocate for from the womb to the tomb, as some of our other friends. But you've also been uh, really at the forefront of being intentional about reconciliation. Yes. And I, I, what I loved about Bishop Harry Jackson, we worked together on the Reconciled Church, and I really believe that still needs to, to happen and there needs to be it others does. to take that mantle up. And so when we were in Washington at Lincoln Memorial with leaders from across the country and yourself and Anne Graham Lotz was there as well, and a beautiful time of washing feet and reconciliation. One of the things that really ministered to me was when you had had a stole made for some of us, then your family gave us each part of the cobblestone from the I Have a Dream speech, when they had done the renovations, they gave the King family some of the cobblestone. And I've got some of those, given some of those away, but that still is one of my prized possessions because it's a reminder to me, that gift that you and Bishop Harry Jackson gave to some of us, it's right in my office. And it literally is right there front and center as a reminder every day to me to continue the message of the Reconciled Church and that uh, to keep the dream alive, the dream of reconciliation, the dream of being, as you said, one blood from every nation. We are one blood, one race in the Lord. And that has to be intentional. And then something you said, because in Japan, it used to be, when I was born in Japan, they used to actually say that when you were born, you're already one years old. Because that's, And I, I embrace that. And I that's do what too. I do. I actually do. You're nine months old when you're born. So you've got those months, and I add those months. I wear that stole a lot, too. I graduated from Aiden University here in 2022 with a Ph.D. in leadership and applied theology. So that was added to all my other credentials. But I wore that particular stole. And people ask me because it has the rock of Ebenezer on it. It has the Holy Spirit, the blood of Christ, the grapes, the vine, and Father. And so those were designed, and that stone was very important. I really appreciate that particular stone 
but it reminds us that Jesus is the rock, not Martin Luther mm-hmm. King, but that it's Jesus, that God is the rock and our foundation must always be. And that's what the dream stone is. Mm-hmm. Those of us who love the Lord, and I was talking a little bit about politics, but not really uh, comparing one candidate to the other here in Georgia. And one has the Bible worldview and one has the social justice worldview. And I said, it's just that God's word is where we need to go. We just do. If we can live God's word as shining examples and be quick to repent, quick to forgive, be forgiven, as we can do that, and we have to do it not in just every generation, every decade, but I tell every day, every day, every moment. You know, Billy Graham, many years ago, Evangelist Graham, I was a young college student in journalism, and I had to do an interview, so I interviewed him. And one of the things he said, I said, so what do you, to what do you attribute your success? I says, well, that seemed like a good question to me. Maybe I'll get an A on this, you know, the assignment. He looked at me. He says, we need to pray without ceasing. Mm. So I was young and the statement 24-7. I said, Mr. Graham, nobody can pray 24-7. He looked right into my eyes with those brilliant blue eyes. He says, I'm praying for you now. I got tickled. So it's just, he gently just knocked a peg in my pride and arrogance by just saying, I'm praying to you now. And he smiled. So we can pray. We can love each other. We can forgive. The Bible says, be ye kind to one another. Not nice. It's nice to say I'm colorblind. It's nice to say a woman has a right to choose because all those sound so nice. But that's not kind because people are in bondage. So we have to tell the truth. I say, tell the truth and shame the devil, but do it with love and kindness. Amen. You've given up so much of your time and there's so much we could ask you and you have so much to share. We'll have to have you on another time. But in these last couple of moments, just share with us what's really pressing on your heart. How can people follow you, uh, get some of your resources, your books, but at the same time, if there's something pressing, could you share with us that you feel that God is saying to the church? Because I really believe that we need the centrality of the cross more than ever. And that if we're going to see healing in the land, that it has to start with us. And too often, we've been worshiping the institution rather than worshiping the God of the institution, the Elbethel, God of the house. Where do you think we are today? And how do we get from where we are? And what's pressing in your heart that you feel like God has been sharing with you for the rest of us to to glean from? What's pressing in my heart, we do have some important elections coming up. It is Christian to pray for those who are in authority that we can have peaceful lives. It is Christian to vote according to the worldview, the Bible, the, the worldview that God and his way is the best way for us to vote accordingly. If we can do that, that's very important. People feel as though I would only say that the most important issue is abortion and making sure that people don't abort babies, but we need to serve each other, men, women, and children. And there are many ways to do that. We do not want to abort the babies, of course. This uh, transgender hypersexuality of our children and minors is not good. And yet we have so much crime in our communities. We have so much confusion and so much violence. And so any of the issues that we speak of, including the economy, the gas prices, all of that. But if we who really love the Lord can love humanity, regard human dignity, 
see human beings the way Christ sees human beings. And as we as leaders, whether it's in the church or the community on the seven mountains, don't forget the mountain of God. Now, I speak of all of these things at alvedaking.com. You can find me also at speakfor, F-O-R, speakforlife.org. And I'm at America First Policy Institute as the chairman of the Center for the American Dream. I've got music, books, film, commentaries. I do cook on Fox Nation. Yes, I do. But with prayer. (laughs) So that is how you can find me. But love each other. Be kind and truthful and powerful because we serve a mighty, mighty God. Amen. I'm going to have you pray for us and pray for leaders. And as you were sharing, I was reminded of a scripture I love out of Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And basically it says, to do justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with God before our God. And, And that's really what you have exemplified to us over the years. I'm honored to have been and privileged to be with you in various venues and and uh, ministering with you as well. So thank you for your consistency, your example of love for God and for people in the midst of all the noise pollution out there. You've been able to be that plumb line rather than swinging with the pendulums of society's new thoughts and views. You've been able to stay true to God's word and to your passion for the Lord and people. Thank you. So would you pray for us and pray for others that will be watching or listening to the podcast In times like these, we need a Savior. In times like these, we need an anchor. Be very sure, be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Father, in the name of Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, for everyone who will hear this broadcast, who will share this broadcast, and everyone within the atmosphere where your power falls because you are omnipresent, continue, Father, to lead us according, Father, to Psalms 23, to bless us according to Psalms 103, to protect us according to Psalms 91. We thank you for the blessing of Abraham. We thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ and that you, Father, love us and you are working all things together for good for those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. God, we thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Alveda, for taking the time with us and and just pouring out your heart with us. I know that those are going to be truly richly blessed by it and provoked. That's what we want is to think more like the Lord and to be provoked to do and be what God's called us to be. So thank you so much, Alvita. Thank you, Doug. Bye. Bless you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805 805- 422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.